to us. Thanks, Hannah. Brilliant. We're, we are out of preach series this morning. Um, so uh, we were planning to have baptisms, but with the uh, multiple meetings and the different location, that's not going to work for us um, here today. But we will have baptisms in the new year um, where we will uh, gather together anyone who would like to be baptized and uh, have the joy of baptizing them. But in Bexhill, they do have two people they're baptizing. So uh, do remember them in your prayers um, uh, over the next uh, hour or so as they do that. A couple of weeks ago, we had the joy of doing our first Central St. Le- Central St. Leonard's practice pilot meeting that we're going to be holding um, bi-monthly um, throughout this year as we uh, uh, look to reach into Central St. Leonard's with the gospel and the good news about Jesus. I mean, it was such a privilege to be there. There was, uh, I, I don't know, just, just an absolute joy to uh, be meeting with a whole load of people that I know really well because they're from among us but also a whole group of people that I didn't know, some of which didn't even know they were going to come to the meeting until five minutes before when they were invited on the way in and uh, decided to come in and have a look and uh, just, yeah, hear something about Jesus. So it's absolutely um, brilliant to be able to uh, do that. We live in um, turbulent times as a nation, don't we? Um, Politically, things seem to be very unstable. Uh, with growing uh, division and mistrust. Uh, As Christians, how do we navigate our way through this season? Um, How do we navigate our way through this election season and uh, everything that is coming up? And so this morning, I'm going to be speaking um, into that subject. What should shape our attitudes and our actions um, at this time? I wonder if we could just put the picture up, please, Laura. I wonder as you see those faces, even what, what that elicits in your heart at this point in time. What, what is there that's going on um, at this moment? So we're going to be looking um, at the whole subject of what attitudes and what action should we have as followers of Jesus? How should we respond in this season? What should be our priorities what maybe should even shape how we vote. Now, by the way, there is no official King's Church position um, in, that situ- in, in, in that way. But, but actually, but what actions, what, what attitude should we run with um, at this time? We're going to start in 1 Peter chapter 2, because I think that's really uh, helpful for us to start in Scripture. And probably about the first half of my preach is going to be based in that. And then the second half is going to be much more practical um, on the outworkings uh, to it. Uh, why, don't we, why don't I just briefly pray and then we're going to dive in. Lord, I, I just want to th- I thank you for this amazing time of just worshipping and connecting you earlier. We, we, we love to worship you. I just pray, Holy Spirit, would you be with us right now um, as we look at this subject. I pray, Lord, we'd have um, open minds and soft hearts. Lord, would you be with us in it? Help me, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, um, where there's about 10 or 11 verses we're going to work our way through quite quickly, and I'll take a couple at a time, and I'll explain what's going on, and we're going to build, I guess, to a, to a point where we get practical, uh, where, we, where we really look to um, earth it. But you, kings, 
Hastings venue, the 9.15 meeting, but you are a chosen race. You have been picked out. You have been chosen by God. You are a royal priesthood. You have royalty stamped on you. That means you've got authority, but you're also a priesthood, which means you've got access before the living God if you are a Christian. You're a holy nation. That means you've been set apart as God's people. You belong to him and you are his. You're a people for his own possession. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You don't first and foremost belong to your husband, your wife, your spouse, your family, your parents. You belong to God if you are a Christian here today. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Like the first thing on your job description is to proclaim the excellencies of God. Oh, how good he is. What he has done, the difference he has made in your life. What he is about at the moment that it just bubbles out all over the place. You can't help it. God is so good that you're proclaiming, you're declaring his excellencies who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Out of sin into righteousness, out of shame, into acceptance, out of slavery, into adoption. You've, you've been transferred, you've been transformed. This is a radical cutting out and planting in. And I thought Ali did an outstanding job last week as he was just talking about some of those amazing things. And it's so important that before we get to practical application, we realize that, that we've been transplanted. We've been moved. There's, there's this radical cutting out that's taken place because if you don't understand that, you just think, well, it's just about changing behavior. It's not about that. It's living in line with our new identity, who we now are um, in Christ. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And how amazing, how incredible is to be sat here today if you are a Christian you have received mercy and forever you will be a recipient of the mercy of God no longer an object of wrath an object of mercy now I know you're rejoicing in your hearts with me do you mean this is a statement of faith here I, I know you are then he goes on in verse 11 beloved I mean, what a great way to start. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and say, you are beloved. First and foremost, first and foremost, you are beloved by God. How cool is that? You wake up in the morning, you feel absolutely rotten and rubbish. I am the beloved of God. When I go to bed at night after I've made an absolute hash of it, I am still the beloved of God. That is who I am, that is where I stand, and nothing can take away from that. But, beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. You know, this isn't your home. That's what sojourners mean. You are passing through. You are exiles. You are a temporary resident here on earth. 
you are now citizens of heaven. That's, that's where you are seated. That's where you are positioned. You are gloriously, wonderfully citizens of heaven. Don't unpack your suitcase here in the world because you're not staying. You're just passing through. Live in that way. Basically, that's what the uh, Apostle Peter is saying. Live as that way, knowing you are citizens of heaven. This is not your eternal home. home. And he says, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. I mean, strong language, isn't it? Passions of the flesh, strong emotions, strong desires, which there's a battle on the inside that is waging war against your God-connected part, that bit that's been born again, that bit that's been made alive. There's that battle, and he says, abstain from them, stand against them, these battles of the uh, flesh that wage war against your soul. Why? Well, Keep your conduct among society so honourable that although they may not believe the message, they may think that Jesus is a whole load of rubbish, but they see the way you live and they realise that there's something different about you. And in actual fact, when Jesus comes again, they're going to glorify God because of what they saw in your life. What an amazing privilege. So it's not just that we declare the excellencies of God with our mouths, we declare the excellencies of God with our actions, what we write, how we act, how we demonstrate love, care, mercy. It's an incredible, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but it's incredible that God would ever line himself up so much with us that we, we get to proclaim something of God's goodness and his excellencies. What is it people say? First they listen to your words, then they watch your actions. Do the, do the two line up well? Then he goes on in verse 13 to say this, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or governors, as sent by him to punish those who do evil, but praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Look, your, your temporary residence. So what's the first outworking? Well, the first outworking is submit yourselves to the governing authority, to the laws of the land. Humble yourself, obey the government. Why? Not necessarily because you want to, but for God's sake, for the Lord's sake. That's why it says it. We do it. Why? Because, well, we belong to God now. So, so even, if, even if I find it a little bit tricky, even if my pride is hurt or I think, oh, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do... No, no, no. For God's sake, for the Lord's sake, I will do it. Why? Because I now belong to him and I'm a recipient of mercy recipient of his mercy. So we obey the government, civil service, police, courts, local government, different agencies. We, we pay appropriate tax. We pay what we should. We drive with thoughts for other people. Not about fear even of whether we're going to get caught or not, but, but, but we want our driving to reflect actually, no, no, I want to obey because God wants me to do it. And the Bible teaches that, that that as long as the laws of the land are not telling us to do something that is against what God wants, we're to obey the laws of the land. That's one of the ways we reflect his goodness. One of the ways we don't bring the gospel into disrepute. And then he goes on and he says this, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Alid spoke brilliantly, didn't he? Do you remember last, last week when he was talking about that? He said, we're free but we're not 
free just to go on living as we used to. We are now free to follow Jesus. And Peter's doing, saying exactly the same thing. Live as people who are free, but don't use it as a, a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. I mean, that's, you know, we, we love it, don't we? we? We love singing songs about the freedom we have in Jesus. We don't sing quite so many songs about being his servant. But we are. We're both free and we are servants of Christ. Now, just think for a moment about a servant. A servant serves someone else. They fulfill another's purpose. If, a, if you're a servant, you don't actually have your own agenda. You have theirs. That's the slight problem of being a servant, is you've got to follow someone else's agenda on this. As we come to follow Christ, he becomes not just our saviour, he's also our Lord. He's not like a box of quality streets where you pick out the ones that you like, you know, at Christmas, you pick out the flavours you like, and you leave all the other ones for your guests when they come round. <laughs> God's not like that. You, you, you get him, he's your saviour and he's your Lord. You, you're now servant of the living God. Our primary agenda is what is his. What, what, what did Jesus say? First seek my kingdom and righteousness, God's kingdom and righteousness. All these things will get added to you as well. First, seek the kingdom of God. Not, not actually, I'll seek my kingdom, my domain, my desires first, and then if they overlap with God, well, isn't God lucky? No, no, first seek his kingdom, even if it means taking off stuff that I want to do or I, I believe is going to do me good or whatever it might be, or I just want to do it. I take that off, why? Because I'm first and foremost a follower of Jesus Christ. And then he gets into, Peter gets into four very short statements, but they are so provocative. He says, honour everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the emperor. First one, honour everyone. Honour goes beyond respect, but it includes it. Honour is to bend over backwards to show respect for all people. Now, have you, can any of you bend over backwards? You see, I can, I'm getting old a bit. I can just about bend over forwards. Oh, dear. But, but bending over backwards is an awful lot harder. You know, it, it, it doesn't come naturally. I'm sure Jeanette could do it very, very easily. We won't, we won't ask him to sort of demonstrate. But, but in a sense, that, that whole illustration of bending over backwards, it takes deliberate decision. It, it doesn't feel natural. It's slightly uncomfortable when we show honour to all people that some of the feelings we may feel on the way through because it doesn't feel necessarily in our flesh the right thing to do. But God says, no, honour everyone. Show respect for everyone. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. Every single person on the face of the planet is created in the image, in the likeness of God. We therefore have intrinsic value, not on the basis of what we stand for, not on the basis of what we do, not on the basis of what we say, on the basis that I am made in his image, therefore I am valuable. And that's true for every single one of you. 
Even if you're sat here today thinking, I've made a right old pig's ear of everything. Do you know what? You are valuable to God. You are valuable as a person. You have great worth. How valuable? Valuable enough for God's own son to die on the cross for you that he could restore you to a relationship to the Father. That's how valuable, valuable enough that you are adopted into his family. If you're a Christian, you're his child with such blessings and riches spiritually and in loads of different ways that is absolutely amazing. We are to honour. Each human life is a masterpiece of unique and irreplaceable value. Our dignity and significance comes from our God-likeness and not our abilities. Church, we so often judge on externals. We know God looks at the heart. So we're to honour everyone. Everyone. We're to love the church. Now that's higher than honouring everyone. It says love the brotherhood. Love the church. You are to love this is not some nice, warm, fluffy feeling, although there may be bits of that in the mixture. I don't know. We won't go into that. But it is a hard-nosed decision to be patient, forbearing, generous, kind, gentle. It's a hard-nosed decision not to be arrogant, not to be rude, not to be irritable or resentful. Love bears all things. You bear with the person next to you. You bear with the person three rows away from you. It hopes all things. Love is self-sacrificing. It says in 1 Peter 1 verse 22, earlier in this letter we're looking at, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So we don't honour everyone, we don't love the church. Step up. We're to fear God. Another step up. Fear isn't in conflict to loving and honouring God. We're to love and honour God as well, but we are to fear him as well. It's not that they are diametrically opposed. Is that right? Is that, you know what I mean. You know, whatever that word could have been, you know what I mean. We fear God because he's the king of the universe. We fear God because he is working within us. We fear God because we are a holy people set apart for his purposes. We fear God because God is working in us to will and to act. And so I need to work it out in my life. Having a holy, reverent fear of God is right. Again, not something we hear so quite so much about. We love the fact God loves us and we love him, but, but, but fear doesn't necessarily fit so comfortably. We fear God because he promises in Hebrews that if we don't work with him, he will discipline us. That's what he says. He will discipline us. So we fear God. And then lastly, we are told here to honour the emperor. It's interesting that the honour the emperor is at the same level as honouring everyone else. I mean, in, in, in their day, there would have been people that would have worshipped the emperor. So they would have put the emperor right up, up at fear God level. And Peter is saying, no, no, you're to honour him, but he's like... Or he's like any other person. And to honour the emperor would have been an outrageous instruction because Nero was emperor in Rome at that time. He was involved in killing his predecessor, his adopted dad. Nice guy, hey? He then killed his mum when she disagreed with him. 
and actually killed a whole load of other people who opposed him throughout his reign. He was sexually incredibly promiscuous. And although there wouldn't have been an empire-wide persecution of Christians, he would later be involved in using Christians as the scapegoats for the fire of Rome. And many Christians were executed, crucified, and ripped apart by wild animals as a punishment for a fire that he probably started himself. And Peter says, honour the emperor. Interestingly, he doesn't even say, pray for a change of emperor. I might have added that in. Do you know what I mean? But Peter didn't say that. Peter said, honour the emperor. And in actual fact, if you notice here in this passage, Peter's much concern, more concerned about the internal battle in us and our own holiness and godliness and not giving in to those sinful passions that wage war against our souls than he appears to be on some of the external stuff. I, I just want to obviously provoke you in this particular season. So what does it teach for us today? In modern speak, when it says to honour the emperor, it means to honour the prime minister, the government, the opposition parties, which I know is difficult to bend over backwards to the point at some points where it may hurt. Doesn't come naturally, doesn't necessarily feel right. What were the emotions or the feelings you had when you looked at that screen with the half dozen political leaders in there and, and you, you probably you, 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 you put it to one side and say, oh, that's all right, it's their fault. If they weren't like that, I wouldn't feel like that. No, no. The reason you feel like that is because of stuff in your heart that shouldn't be there. That's, that's why. The stuff in my heart that shouldn't be there. That's, that's the reality. So how do I engage in this election? What should be my attitude and what should be my actions? We are over halfway to put your minds at rest. This is such a God-given opportunity for us as a church. This is an incredible opportunity for us as a church to shine bright in the universe, in how we act and what we say. So the first thing, our attitudes. Firstly, we're to honour first. Every politician is made in the image of God and has intrinsic worth because God says they're valuable. And honour isn't based on agreement or achievement. It's based on a person's value. So whether you agree or disagree, whether you find some, some of the things that get said outrageous or not, we come from a basis of honouring everyone. Why? I've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't belong to myself anymore. I'm a servant of Jesus. It's an opportunity for us as church to stand up, stand out, and be different. It's not so much about who you vote for, but about how you engage in the debate. Don't give room for those passions to bubble out. Anger, judgment, disdain, uh, and, and any of us, me included. I watched the news, I watched the last leaders debate, I found it so hard, personally. I did. But, but, but what's going on in my heart? 
be humble. Why? Firstly, because God says he gives grace to the humble. And I think, I think when we get to debates like the one we're in the middle of now, it is so easy to have set positions. It's so easy to feel that you've got it all tied up, that you know every possible argument and, do you know what, I'm right. And if you don't agree with me, you're at best wrong and at worst stupid because you don't see it as I am, you know, as I see it. I mean, we can, it can be very, very polarizing. We, we, church, we need to bring humility in. So much of the stuff that we see and we read is more like, isn't it? It's more like what you, it's a bit more sort of playgroundy insults often. Can be. Than, than honour. So firstly, we'd honour everyone. Oh God, please, would you help us? Lord, we, you know, we, we haven't walked any, any steps in their shoes, have we? Do you know what it's like to lead a polit- political party? Do you know what it's like to run a nation? Do you, do you understand what the scrutiny and the pressure is like day by day? We, we just haven't done it. So we're to honour everyone, we're to love the church. The reality is that within three metres of you, there are sat people who have got a completely different political view to you. They're going to vote in a different way within three metres. It's, it's absolute certain that that will be the case. Within three metres, there are people who deeply love Jesus just like you do. They've been rescued from hell and, they're gonna, and you're going to spend an eternity with them. A little bit of worship in the middle of it, I don't know, you know. And you hear stories, don't you? You hear stories. <laughs> you hear stories of families being ripped apart. And marriages have ended on the back of this debate. It's horrific, isn't it? Marriages being ripped apart. Families being destroyed because of what's going on in the political scene at the moment. Jesus' disciples included a Roman sympathizer, Matthew, and a Jewish revolutionary, Simon. And they lived together for three years. Jesus, following Jesus, trumped any of that stuff. Nothing, you know, and, and sometimes we can read it and just think, oh, well, when they met Jesus, all of their political views just disappeared. No, they didn't. Of course they didn't. But putting Jesus, following Jesus, trumped any of that sort of stuff. church, are we echoing what's happening in, sus- in society, or are we echoing the kingdom of God in how we engage, in how we speak? So firstly, attitude. But the second thing is action. Our first and foremost priority, our first and foremost privileged church is that we get to pray. We get to pray, and prayer makes a difference. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 and 2, there isn't a slide for it, it says this, First of all then, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and for all who are in high positions. I think prayer is the most important thing we get to do as a church and as individuals in this season. Pray for wisdom on who to vote for. Pray for the local candidates. 
Pray for the parties nationally. Pray for peace in our nation and unity. Come to our prayer meeting on the 11th of December if you're free. Join us as we pray and do that. Do that. Don't miss it. There's an opportunity for us to come and pray. And mix it with a whole load of thanksgiving. Because the truth of the matter is, although there's a whole load of bad stuff going on in our nation at the time, near enough any other nation in the world would give their right arm to live in the UK at this time. Pretty much most nations, if you live in another nation, would want to be here. And certainly if you were living in Nero's Rome, you would be incredibly grateful to be living in the UK in 2019. There is, there, do you know what I mean? So, so mix it with thanksgiving. There's, there's so much to be grateful to God for. We, we've got an incredible national health service. We, we've got an incredible welfare system that, that doesn't maybe work as well as some would like it to work, but the reality is it works an awful lot better than near enough any welfare system in the world. You know, we, we are very privileged people. Let, let your prayers, your petitions be mixed in with thanksgiving. Why? Because thanksgiving stops bitterness taking root. It's a brilliant antidote for bitterness. So be thankful. Let it overflow. So first thing, pray. Second thing is vote. Take time to understand what's happening nationally. And I know it's difficult. Do you know what I mean? I, I genuinely at times am confused. But also look to find out what is going on locally. Who are the local candidates? What are they like? What's their background? Let, let that shape your voting as well as what's going on at a national level. Try not to be too narrow-minded. I think if I'm totally honest, and, and, and you may feel that this is a little bit sexist, but I, I'm going to go for it anyway. I think particularly middle-aged men are narrow-minded if they're not careful. They are. But by the time you've been around for a while, you think you've got it all nailed. Polit particularly politically. Don't be narrow-minded. Genuinely listen to the arguments. Listen to the debate. Hear what people have got to say. Don't be so quick to give your point of view. Just spend a moment to listen and see what's going on. Society has lost the ability to disagree well. In the church, we should be able to disagree well and love one another in the middle of it. The fact that I disagree with you doesn't mean I hate you. I still love you. I just disagree. That's all right. Try to understand, as I've already said, what's going on. Don't rely on social media. It's, it's unregulated. Basically, anyone with an opinion can post. And the fact they can write well doesn't mean that they're wise. Just means they can write well. I would recommend you go to main media outlets that do have a bias. But at least there is some accountability, there is some regulation as you're looking to understand it. Why not try and look at the manifestos? Go to the horse's mouth. Try and understand directly what is going on. Why not attend the local hustings? So on the 5th of December at the college down in the town centre in Hastings, there's a hustings. The local candidates will all be there. Go listen to them. Try and, you know, God speak to me as I'm listening to what is going on. Although our democratic system is flawed, it is better 
than most systems around the world today. So take part, get involved. I think social media is a massive problem in this area. I think our engagement in social media should be completely different to how society engages in social media. It just, it just should be. And if I'm honest, in 2017, I was a bit disappointed in how we as a church engaged in social media. I think we more reflected society than we did the kingdom of God. Not everyone, but, but a number. Come on. You've been born again. You're a chosen nation, a holy priesthood, a people belonging to God. And it's not just about your comments that you write. Think about what you're reposting because when people read it, they just assume you believe that wholeheartedly. That you're lining up with the people that originally posted that stuff. Do engage politically. I, I want to encourage you to engage politically, but do it in a kingdom way. Do it in a way that is different. I want to encourage you to vote. If you haven't registered to vote, you've got to the 26th of November to do it. You can go online and do it. It only takes, all you need is your national insurance number to do it. Go on. Even if you're not certain who to vote for, take the time to engage. I know that if I was in the Roman Empire under Nero and the opportunity for an election came up, I would have definitely been voting. And the vote that we cast will probably not just affect the next five years, it will probably affect generations. So play a part in it. Daniel, Esther, Joseph were all used in the political system. Be careful. Don't subscribe God's blessing to a particularly, particular political party. Because I think, don't think he does. Don't subscribe God's blessing to either remain or leave the EU. God isn't, he, he doesn't have a side. As Joshua realized, it's not about whether God is on your side, but whether you're on his side that counts. And there are Christians, lovely, um, uh, lovely Christ followers who have got very fixed, prayerful thoughts and convictions on all different parties. So don't write them off. When you're voting, don't vote purely on a personal interest basis. God has a particular concern and care for the most vulnerable and broken, those without a voice. And I think government has a responsibility to care for them well. Some parties, political parties, are more on the side of social responsibility, on, on the state, on the government caring for others. Others have more of a responsibility or more of a bias on personal responsibility. Both principles are biblical. Both are in the Bible. You'll find both in Proverbs. You'll find them in Isaiah. But don't just vote in line with what you will do best out of. Try and put yourself in other people's shoes, other people's, uh, other stratas of society. How will, if I vote this way, will it affect them? Think about the next generation. What are you passing on to them as well? I have gone on too long, so I'm going to finish it up there. As we engage in this election, this is an opportunity for us to shine like stars in the universe. To reflect God's glory. Why don't we stand?
Let's seek God's kingdom first, not anyone else's. Let's not vote purely on the basis of self-interest, but kingdom interest. As a community, we've got an amazing opportunity to demonstrate unity, to love each other, to disagree well. As a church, we shouldn't be a microcosm of society, but a microcosm of God's kingdom. We are heavenly citizens. We are a people who get to reflect God's glory. Let's not miss this opportunity to give God all the glory that he deserves. Why don't I just pray? Lord, I, I want to start by thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, that we live in this nation at this time. Lord, I want to pray for your grace on every single person here right now. For those that know for definite how they're voting. For those that are really confused about who to vote for. For those that don't even think their vote is relevant, Lord, I ask for grace in it. Lord, and I pray, Lord, that as a community of people, as we make decisions, as we get towards the election day, I ask you, Lord, that we will shine like stars in the universe. Lord, that we will be different. I pray, will you bless us? Will you be with us in it? Bless our nation. Bless our political parties. Lord, lead them in righteousness and justice. Lord, I pray for outstanding, upstanding character among the political uh, candidates. We ask for that in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. We're going to finish by glorifying God, um, but then Paul is going to lead us in some prayer as we pray for our nation. What we're going to do, we're going to pray first. And um, I'd love you to find someone that you feel comfortable praying with. Okay, we're going to do this as a, as a group of people just for kind of like the next couple of minutes. And um, so I'm just going to give you two seconds just to look around you and then quickly gather with a couple of people who you feel comfortable praying with. Go for it. Might be the person next to you. Might be someone behind you. Might be someone in front of you. Let's just quickly do that. You do it in pairs. You can do it with three or four. And um, entirely up to you. We're going to do this in two sections, if that's okay. And um, the first thing I'd love us to pray for, for about a minute, is that first bit that Paul talked about, our attitudes, things like honour.